Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, October 1st. Here are election 2020 updates from today's show. The president's incendiary remarks on white supremacy and his baseless claims of electoral fraud during the debate had Republican officials privately expressing alarm about the fallout with key voters, even as Trump himself felt like he successfully electrified his core supporters. But few Republican politicians voiced their outrage in the wake of Trump's norm-shattering spectacle, including his statement that the extremist Proud Boys, a male-only far-right group known for street violence, should, quote, stand back and stand by. Responses ranged from silence to muted criticism, reflecting how the GOP remains convinced that an alliance with Trump and his voters is crucial for survival with just over a month until Election Day. Asked Wednesday about white supremacy as he left the White House for a rally in Minnesota, Trump told reporters that he has, quote, always denounced any form of any of that. He said he didn't know who the Proud Boys were, and he tried to clarify his remarks from the previous evening, saying they have to stand down not stand by, and let law enforcement do their work. But the president's standby remark has already become a galvanizing movement for the reactionary right. The hashtag white supremacy was trending on Twitter in the United States all day. Trump's comments were enshrined in memes, including one depicting him in one of the Proud Boys' signature Fred Perry polo shirts. Another meme showed Trump's standby quote alongside an image of a bearded man carrying an American flag and appearing to prepare for a fight. One prominent Proud Boy supporter said on Parler, a conservative social media platform, that Trump appeared to give them permission for attacks on protesters, adding, quote, this makes me so happy. For many members, the president's remark was the validation that they've long craved, quickly turning into a fundraising and recruitment drive while experts worry legitimizing the group's violent tactics. Moreover, Trump's debate stage call for volunteers to stand watch at voting locations has prompted an enthusiastic response from known neo-Nazis and other right-wing forces. My colleagues Amy Gardner, Josh Partlow, Isaac Stanley Becker, and Josh Dossie report that Trump's comments are leading many state election and law enforcement officials to prepare for voter intimidation, arrests, and even violence on election day. The Trump campaign and Republican National Committee for months have promised to recruit as many as 50,000 poll watchers to monitor voting locations. The campaign's Army for Trump website has contributed to that effort. But more extremist supporters appear to be joining in as well, raising the prospect for confrontation and outright intimidation at polling locations. Andrew Anglin, the founder of the neo-Nazi website The Daily Stormer, wrote in a post last night that he got shivers watching the debate and he still had him a day later. He said the president telling people like him to stand by was understood to mean get ready for war. The Oath Keepers, a heavily armed militia group that formed more than a decade ago, which comprises current and former law enforcement and military members, also is pledged to have volunteer security teams at Trump rallies and then out in force on election day. At least three Democratic attorneys general in Massachusetts, Virginia, and Nevada issued statements yesterday reminding the public that voter intimidation is illegal and that the laws will be enforced. Already, 
Instances of suspected intimidation have popped up at early voting sites. On September 19th, the second day of early voting in the Virginia suburbs of D.C., Trump supporters staged a rally outside a polling place, which required voters to make their way past the crowd, prompting accusations of impropriety. And in Philadelphia this week, at least one Trump supporter showed up at an election office demanding to watch voters fill out absentee ballots and turn them in. The person was turned away. Trump alluded to the incident during Tuesday night's debate, falsely claiming that Philadelphia election officials were trying to hide fraud. Earlier this year, Trump publicly floated the idea of using law enforcement officers to patrol polling places, invoking tactics historically used to intimidate voters of color. But a federal law bars U.S. government officials from sending armed men to the vicinity of polling places. And the Bipartisan Commission on Presidential Debates announced that it plans to take swift action to add additional structure to the format of the remaining two debates between Trump and Joe Biden in order to, quote, ensure a more orderly discussion of the issues. But it's not clear what kind of rule changes could be effective, given Trump's personality and his view that breaking the rules appeals to his base. Nielsen announced that only 64.7 million people watched the debate. That's a lot, obviously, but it's a decline from the 84.4 million who watched the first debate in 2016. That figure may grow a little bit after smaller networks counts are added in. But Paul Fari says that also doesn't include many millions who w- watched the debates via live stream. Moderator Chris Wallace called the night a terrible missed opportunity. The Fox News Sunday host said he never dreamt the event would go off the tracks the way it did. He told the New York Times that he flew home from Cleveland right after the debate aboard a private jet. And at the airport, he accepted a glass of champagne from Lachlan Murdoch, whose family controls the Fox Corporation, and Suzanne Scott, the CEO of Fox. But he said he really didn't feel like celebrating. Speaking from his home in Annapolis, Wallace told the Times that he spent yesterday involved in what he described as a certain amount of soul-searching. Meanwhile, the fever swamps of the internet were getting even worse. Misinformation about Biden's health spread like wildfire in the aftermath of the debate. It was pushed in many cases by the Trump campaign itself. One official Trump campaign ad, which was marketed primarily to people over 55 in Florida, said falsely that Biden was wearing an earpiece. On TikTok, four grainy videos alleged that Biden was wearing a wire to cheat during the debate. They racked up more than half a million combined views on Wednesday. Neither video shows any evidence of Biden wearing any kind of electronic device. Facebook said all these falsehoods would undermine the legitimacy of the election and reiterated the company's previous announcement that all political ads will be banned on the platform in the week before the election. Twitter announced that it acted on a tip from the FBI to remove 130 accounts that appeared to originate in Iran and were attempting to sow disinformation during the debate. TikTok also announced that it will remove those phony Biden videos after being contacted by the post. Remarkably, nearly every top post on Facebook after the debate yesterday was from a pro-Trump commentator. That's a major shift even from 2016. This means that many Americans who primarily get their news from Facebook are living in a media ecosystem where Trump crushed Biden. All of that into account, perhaps most troublingly, Tuesday's debate has stoked a perception overseas that America is in her twilight as a great power. There was a time when much of the world watched Trump's conduct with a mix of worry and amusement, concerned about U.S. policy, but content 
to watch the spectacle. That time has passed. Emily Ruhalla and Rick Nowak on our foreign desk report that the global reaction to the debate was somber and disquieted as foreign leaders considered anew the increasingly real possibility that an American president could challenge the results of November's election, rattling the foundations of democracy and roiling the global economy. Though Trump's presidency has been defined by moments of disruption and surprise, what unfolded this week still seemed, to our correspondents who watched this stuff full-time, like a turning point. Views of the U.S. among some of our closest peers have slid to the lowest level in two decades amid Trump's clashes with foreign partners and over the president's handling of the coronavirus pandemic. But even among America's critics, there's been a widespread assumption that American institutions would prevail. That confidence gave other countries the ability to watch the U.S. with a a bit of a wink, treating Trump as a circus act that would pack up and leave town one day. But as the election gets closer, observers in foreign capitals have become much less inclined to laugh. For traditional U.S. allies especially, this debate was another sign that something is deeply wrong with a country and a system that, while flawed, has served as a beacon of freedom for the world. A German scholar worried that, quote, our motherland of democracy has gone down a dangerous path. The headline in Canada's Globe and Mail said, quote, that was gross. And an editorial today in Le Monde, the great Paris newspaper, calls our presidential debate a warning sign of what could happen to France if the people aren't vigilant about populist demagogues. Four years of Trumpism have largely contributed to weakening one of the greatest democracies in the world, the editors warn their readers, adding that it is a lesson for everyone else. Thanks for listening. I'm James Homan. If you want to hear full episodes, find The Daily 202 every weekday morning wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.